I found cannabis to be a passion that really has swept my whole career up now. The way that cannabis is, it's all about the patient deciding. The way cannabis is different is all of a sudden we have a product which is incredibly safe, that it's actually quite difficult to find anything which would hurt you. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Canzio Conversations. I'm Sam, and I'm sat here today with Dr. Kaplan, creator of the CED Clinic. Dr. Benjamin, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you today, sir. Hi, welcome. Thanks for, um, thanks for hosting me. No, thank you. Um, the pleasure's all ours. So to begin with, why don't you give me a quick introduction about yourself and the clinic that you've set up? Sure. I am a family doctor. I've been practicing since 2013. And before that, I was a neuroimaging researcher. Um, I did work at the UCLA Brain Mapping Center for a couple of years. And fast forward through medical school, through a family medicine residency, I found cannabis to be a passion that really has swept my whole um, career up now. And I've dedicated my full practice in medicine to cannabis, um, where I'm seeing patients of all ages and basically all conditions. And in addition to my clinical practice, I'm also a founder of a couple um, companies, one of which is CED Foundation or Seed Foundation, which is really all about education and research and discovery. So reaching out to the cannabis community and the industry to try to help build an evidence-based momentum forward, sort of changing the trajectory of where things are now, which tends to be mostly commercial and trying to curtail it or, or, or shepherd it over to something that's both medical and evidence-based and um, on the ground with people moving forward. Interesting. So how many years have you been in the field then? I mean, in total, if we, if we, if we connect all of the dots since probably 2003, which would be 16 out 17 years. Wow. See, so I think for this industry, that is, that's quite a vast amount. Well, it depends on how you calculate the trajectory. I mean, I think if, if we're talking about seeing patients, it's different than if we're talking about researching cannabis. If we're talking about having a passion for cannabis, I'm sure there are people who, who, who are out there have been doing this you know, far, far longer. Um, yeah. So recently, what have you been focusing most of your time on? What kind of projects have you been uh, investing your time into? The clinic is is my real front and center passion right now. Um, I'm in a fortunate position to be seeing close to 8,000 patients. You know, I think in and before my current patient panel, um, I've been supervising close to 250,000 patients, and it's really the perfect place for me to learn. Um, you have real people with real conditions, sort of having at the market and teaching me from their conditions and their cannabis use what sort of package what this is all telling us. I go home, of course, and, and take that knowledge, and then I'm diving into the literature and seeing what the academic literature is teaching us. You know, there's this, this fascinating myth story um, in the media about how there's not enough literature in cannabis, um, which actually is, is quite ludicrous. You know, if we look up all of the different components of cannabis, from cannabinoids and terpenes to flavonoids, we can find close to 200,000 papers. These are academic research papers um, of a wide variety of quality. They're not all great, but they're certainly not all lousy and they certainly aren't non-existent either. So when I have patients on the one hand and I have research at home on the other, I'm, I'm, I'm building this sort of knowledge base, which I wanna share. I want everybody to read the papers and, and, and understand the literature. I also want people to get to 
have a window into what this is actually doing for people. And I think that's largely missing from the culture now. So it's a very exciting thing for me to be able to provide. Okay, so if we go into a bit more about seed or CED, I'm not sure which one you uh, use more often, but what what's what's the typical day look like from the internal operations of seed? How many customers are you dealing with and what sort of patients and issues are you dealing with? What kind of medicines are you providing? Is, is it predominantly consultation or is it also medication? So patients that come into seed are, as I mentioned, a wide variety of, of, of folks. My day is basically filled up with patients intermingled with other responsibilities with my other companies. So there might be a, a one day where I'm seeing you know, eight patients in the morning and the afternoon I'm on conference calls, either advising or consulting in other ways with, with companies that want my opinion. On other days, it might be a whole day where it's just flying around, you know, giving a conference in a conference lecture in Toronto or in Thailand. Um, and I'm doing a lot of sort of public speaking or education. I tend to prefer the patient interaction stuff because that's where people are really happy to see me and happy to discuss what they're doing. To your question about medicines, the way that the laws are structured in the United States, physicians are not actually allowed to prescribe cannabis, which is to say we're not allowed to give specific medicines at specific doses. Um, what we can do is educate our patients about the products which are available at dispensaries, show them where the dispensaries are, explain to them what the different properties of the prop products that they sell are, and then we can guide them specifically with what would help their particular conditions. But it's different than saying, go to a local pharmacy, pick up this prescription, which has this amount of product in it and at this particular dosage. Okay, so if... Uh... If the kind of status quo is to go to dispensaries in order to medicate yourself, what are the typical treatment methods that people in 2019 are most interested in? Basically, the methods divide into three subcategories. There are things that we can inhale, things that we can ingest, and then things we can use topically. Inhalation would be divided between things that are burned and things which are not burned, um, vaporized or combusted. In the edible world, you're not limited to candy and cookies and brownies. You have um, healthy options, you have tinctures, you have all manner of cooked foods, um, including things like salad dressings or peanut butter that's medicated, honey that's medicated. Tincture sort of falls under its own kind of category within edibles, but also topicals. If it's being used under the tongue, what we call sublingually, that's a different sort of method, actually, even though it's the same product, than if we're swallowing it. And also, suppositories go somewhere in this. I'm not sure that we would call that ingesting, but it is a, a, a reliable method of, of consuming. And then topicals, this is a method where most people are actually quite shocked. Um, this is where I'm hearing often, I can't believe this is real, or where was this 100 years ago, um, or it seems magical, or I don't believe it. You have people sort of flabbergasted that something they put on their skin could not only relieve skin kinds of things, acne or psoriasis or dry skin, um, but also I have patients with gout or with terrible menstrual cramping or menopause symptoms like hot flashes, um, where they're finding the lotions are a credible, useful, reproducible treatment for them. Um, it's really quite, a, quite amazing. In the inhalation world, between vaporizing and combustion, almost universally, medical physicians are going to discourage smoking. Smoking contains most of the toxins that we see in air pollution um, and in cigarette smoking, obviously absent nicotine. But the, the cannabinoid distribution of what's in smoked cannabis is quite different than what we see 
in vaporized cannabis. Okay, so do these different treatment methods, say, for example, smoking and burning it as opposed to vaporizing it, do they specialize in different or in helping different issues that patients may have? For example, you mentioned acne. Is there a certain way to, to leverage it that will most help your acne? Yes. Um, so there are a couple of questions in there. The different methods differ based on timing, both the onset, when it starts working, and the duration, how long it lasts. For example, vaporizing is going to last a very different amount than a tincture would if you're swallowing it or even if you're putting it underneath your tongue. Same with topicals and same with edibles. They each have a different duration. If you're consuming something into your digestive tract, um, it takes some time to swallow. It takes some time to absorb. Um, but actually, the processing of your body, the way that your body processes the cannabis lasts a lot longer. Um, so you could see it as if when you're at the dispensary, the decision about method is, is really a decision about how long do I want this to last? Do I want a short-acting option? Do I want an extended release choice? So if I go to a clinic like your one, what is the process of acquiring a medical application for it? Is it a very bureaucratic process that's um, burdened with red tape? Or would you say that legislation and regulation has made it quite easy so far? And does this differ per state? Because I'm from Europe, specifically Spain, and I'm quite oblivious to what the process is like in the US. So yeah, I know I've asked you a few questions here again. But firstly, what's the process of acquiring a med medical application like? So the process of getting access to cannabis in, in, in the United States is mostly similar state to state. Um, there are some states, of course, where it's recreational and anybody can go. But on the medical side, it's really a process of engaging with a, a clinician so that you can have a relationship. Um, you can learn from someone. You can learn about your medical conditions and how cannabis can treat those individually, sort of with intention. At Seed Clinic, for example, patients will find me from wherever they find me. And we have an online portal where they can set up an appointment anytime they want. They, they can pick the, the appointment time that they like in the day. Once they've had that, they're sent automatically a survey of information. I'm trying to learn about their medical history. I'm trying to learn about their experience with cannabis, what kinds of things they're looking for in the whole, in the whole process. The appointment comes. I already have information about the patient, so we can jump right into the meat of it. You know, what brings someone here? What are they looking for? We can talk about it sort of face-to-face. -face. Of course, some information that they've already taught me will change, and some information I'm going to learn new because they're teaching me about things that are today and not in the past. But slowly, I'm learning about who they are, and then the process of the visit is really educating them about what is in the industry now. What are the choices? What, how do we make sense of those choices? Where can they find those choices? Um, where are the discounts related to those choices? So some of it is economical and sort of practical. But then some of it is, okay, for your back pain, this is something you might consider. And if your back pain is acutely problematic, if it hurts right now, you might have a different choice than if it's just you're looking for a cushion through the rest of the day. And then similarly, there's a whole other conversation about anxiety. If you're not sleeping well, if you're really worried through the day or through the nighttime, then maybe we should consider some of these other choices. Okay, so how many states can I go to and uh, use a dispensary to, uh, to use these methods? Right now, I think the number is close to 33 that have either medical or recreational. Um, I think open access is, is something much smaller. I think it's closer to 16 right now. Okay, and back in 2003, when you first got involved within the industry, what was that number at? Do you remember? 
a very different picture. Um, 1996 is when California passed a law that allowed cannabis even to be entertained in the system. And there weren't any, there wasn't anything like the industry we're seeing now. And I, my involvement at the time was mostly on the research basis and, and, and just curating what research had been out there, not necessarily diving into the reality of day-to-day cannabis use. What do you think's led to the spur in interest in the past two decades? Has it just been that the world's become more liberal or was this inevitable? I would say the path to medical cannabis as we know it right now has been a long path and it's actually been a direct line to where we are. Um, back in the day, you would have an ailment and for that ailment, you would go to a shaman, someone who would maybe dance for you or say certain words or do sort of certain things which would bestow healing upon you. Past that in our history, you would see someone who was quite wise or someone who could make a certain concoction that would help you. Um, but it was someone else that was kind of doing these things for you. Even up to the modern sort of Western medical philosophy, we have what's called a patient-centered medical home. So the, the, the medical home is around the patients. The patient is centered to all decisions, but it's also kind of around the patient. It's not necessarily the patients doing it themselves. The way that cannabis is, it's all about the patient deciding. Instead of going to a doctor and hopefully you get the right doctor and, and hopefully you get the right diagnosis and hopefully you get the right treatment. And if you need more of that treatment, you have to go back to the doctor. Um, this current process is fully disempowering for patients. The way cannabis is different is all of a sudden we have a product which is incredibly safe, that it's actually quite difficult to find anything which would hurt you. It's not to say it might not be uncomfortable, but it's not gonna hurt you. So if, if the foundation is safe, then we have a sort of freedom where we can, we as clinicians can educate patients, we can guide patients, we can let them make decisions. And then we have a scenario where in short time, a patient can look back on their cannabis process and it's, it's they who made those decisions. They decided on that product and they, they were guided, but they had the choice and they had the success. And that whole process is so much more gratifying for individuals. Um, I think it's really a success story for the whole philosophy of, of the way we're treating people. To, to kind of paraphrase you here, you think that one of the main reasons why it's grown in the past few years is because people that have emerged themselves within this field and have opted to use this medicine, they've enjoyed it and they've, they've kind of felt a sense of liberation and democratization in the sense that they haven't been exploited or forced down a pathway of a very strict uh, line of medication and instead were, like you said, able to freely choose the path that they wanted. Yeah, so your question is, is really about the patient's perspective. The, 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 the image I was given before, the story, is sort of the doctor's perspective or the medical perspective. But from a patient's view, cannabis is something that they have control over. It, it is at baseline safe, and they get to decide what they need on Wednesday night or Saturday morning they get to pick how it suits them. Um, and this is an opportunity in medicine that we really don't have that much. In general, patients are disempowered. Um, someone else is making decisions, but having the freedom to go and pick what you want is really tremendous in, in medicine. With your experience, what are some of the most impactful cannabis treatments that you've, uh, that you've witnessed? The list is long. Um, I just the other day had a had a woman come in. She she's a young woman um, in her early 30s, and she has a condition called Ehlers Danlos Syndrome, 
which is a connective tissue problem where her joints are hyperflexible and she has tremendous pain all over her body, but it's the kind of pain that you, you can't really stop. And this woman had been on, is currently on and opiate medicines and benzodiazepine medicines and, and, and anti-inflammatory medicines, all kinds of medicines, and none of them were really helping her to any reproducible extent anyway. And she came back to me and she was in tears and she was so happy. And it was, it was a lotion that she had made that was just changing her, her sort of mentality. She was, she was so overwhelmed with, with gratification, with, with relief. And it was something so simple that it was just, it was just a really remarkable moment. But honestly, I have, I have these moments with, with, you know, elderly men and women who, who have terrible joint pains and they're, they're, they're uncomfortable moving around in daily life. I have these moments with young children who have, who have terrible um, seizure disorders and, and all of a sudden they can get moments of, of quiet and calm. I have these moments with just your average Joe and Jane who have intolerable headaches or terrible back pain or can't get to sleep. I'm just bowled over day in and day out with these patients one after the other where they're just, their lives are com completely changed. That must be such a rewarding job to work with them. Right, it's, it's incredible. I mean, on the one hand, I, w I wish more people knew so we could have more cannabis engagements. But on the other, it's like, it's just an absolute treasure. Yeah, and I guess also, particularly for this industry and this market, you must get so much satisfaction because people are so surprised. They must be quite surprised. I imagine a lot of your patients are at first quite apprehensive because of the the culture built up against cannabis in the last uh, half a century, that, yeah, quite a lot of people, particularly of older demographics, are a bit hesitant to, uh, to experiment with this. And then what, what would you say is, sorry to put you on the spot here, but what would you say is the percentage of clients that you deal with that come back having treated themselves with cannabis and are happy or, or the treatment was successful? Oh, it's, it's, a, a huge number of people are satisfied with their experience. I think part of part of I mean part of it is cannabis, but part of it is also you know my office is is warm. I have an engaging relationship with patients. I listen to patients. You know I think the vast majority of people, if we're looking purely at cannabis, are quite happy because they're the ones picking what they want. There are a couple, of course, who don't you know who have a bad experience or who 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 try too much or or try a ratio of of too much. THC where they're, they're, they're made uncomfortable um, and they're thrown off the, the sort of boat. Um, but that's the, that's the rare minority. I would say well over 95% of patients who engage with cannabis in an educated, guided way, stick with it and feel like it's, it's a meaningful positive in their life. What a bullish, um, what a bullish figure, 95% or so. Hmm. So Dr. Benjamin, one more question. Is there a dominant state when it comes to adoption? Is there a st state that's leading the way that set a, um, a robust regulatory framework and is working actively within people uh, with people within the field? Is there a state that's leading by example? Is there a state that's leading by example? I think many states are leading in different ways. California, of course, led through the gate, and they were the first ones to really have an industry that was accepted and normalized, and California has led in, in oversight and flexibility for producers. Over time, we're starting to see that there's too much supply and that the prices are tanking and, and, and the level of regulatory oversight is complicated and they're trying to fix it now. You know, Colorado, of course, embraced a culture around cannabis and is 
also, you know, cannabis shops on, on every corner and, and, and it's wonderfully available and normalized. From my perspective, you know, about the medicine behind cannabis, the understanding, the research, the education, and the regulatory oversight, Massachusetts is really the Silicon Valley of cannabis. From the projects we have coming down the pike to projects that we're looking sort of from an interstate perspective, Massachusetts, I think, is really going to, to take the sale. Is that where most of the investment is uh, pouring into? Yeah, I mean, globally, Massachusetts is one of the most dense financial capitals of, of, the, of the world. There's, there's some of the most invested money is in Massachusetts. Um, so there's a lot of money to speak of, but it's also a state that has a long history in medicine. Um, we have some of the most rigorous and most well-respected research and academic hospitals in the world. I think if you ask anybody in the world, at least in medicine, they'll point to Massachusetts as one of the places where there's the strongest opportunities in medicine. Um, so it's the ripe field for, for cannabis medicine to emerge. And that's partly, I think, where I fit is I'm trying to bridge the medical world with the cannabis world because there's so much synergy, there's so much opportunity there um, that I think each of the individual sides is kind of missing. I'm going to finish off with the question that I like to ask all of our guests. In the not-so-distant future, what's your outlook on the market and do you see any future trends unraveling within this industry so i i happen to be smack dab in the middle of, of conversations about where the the future of cannabis is going um, i'm i'm working with a couple companies that have big plans um, to incorporate cannabis in everyday life throughout the the world and i'm also working with tech companies um, that are trying to help support the consumption of cannabis in a way that's that's achievable one of the problems that we have still is, is a limited acceptance. There's plenty of stigma and an embracement of cannabis, which, well, an embracing of cannabis that, that just isn't there yet. Too many people are afraid of, of using in, in, you know, in their families or you know, are not allowed to use it in public because of um, legislation. Um, there's still kind of stigma built into the system that we have to overcome. But as far as the future goes, I think we haven't seen anything yet. That's quite a big statement. Why, why so? Just because it's such a nascent industry or do you think the lack of innovation has been poor within the last decade or so? The reason I say we haven't seen anything yet is because so far most people who think about cannabis see THC or they see CBD. And these are two of the most populous compounds in the plant, but they're two of almost 600, 1,000 different components that this plant produces. Over time, I think we're going to start understanding that combinations of these, and you know, there are almost an, an infinite number of combinations, are meaningful. Um, we're also going to see dissection of, of all of these compounds. You know, we're already looking at, at one compound that's fighting breast cancer. We're looking at another compound that seems to be good for um, Parkinson's disease. So we have, separate, we, have, we have usefulness in separate compounds. But when we start combining them, which is, I think is what the future will, be, will all be about, um, we're going to really be bowled over. Fascinating. Brilliant. Well, Dr. Kaplan, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Sam. I appreciate it.